0: Hey guys, it's Tom Harrison here, and welcome to another edition of the Colourful Kit Podcast Extra. Now, first of all, I'd just like to say a massive thank you to all of you that listened to the first edition and especially those of you that shared it out, retweeted it. You know, we got a lot more listens than we expected. So yeah, really pleased about that. For those of you that didn't catch the first episode, just to run through the structure of this podcast, uh, I start off by talking about a big topic which can be just a match that happened on the weekend, it can be a team, or it can be something a bit broader, and today we're going to talk about something a bit broader. I then go on to discuss my player of the week, someone who impressed me on the weekend, and I end with some questions from you guys. Uh, So let's crack on with the show. This week's big topic is defensive or pragmatic football in Liga Emiakis. And the reason for choosing this topic is because we saw a fair amount of success with teams playing this way uh, in the last jornada. You had Tijuana winning 1-0 at Guadalajara. You had Monterey picking up a point at Cruz Azul and the Caxa beating Pachuca. All three of them played a pretty defensive football to some to a greater extent than others. So this is something that people complain about, myself included. Nakaksa became really well known for this style last season and I was definitely someone that didn't always enjoy it and sometimes wanted to see a bit more. Saw that they had quality players, saw that they had the likes of Pucci, Sejara and Gallegos, saw that they could play some good football and wanted to see more of it but of course I understood why they played in a certain way and you know this week i saw people complaining about Cholos. i saw people complaining about monterey you know wanting them to do more wanting them to open up a bit more play some more (laughs) football some less negative style and try and entertain a bit more because i think people expect that it's kind of in the Liga mx nature you see games this week like the Tigres America match, you know, that game was so open, expansive. It's, it's kind of that's that's what people expect from a lot of Liga MX games, myself included, and it is a bit disappointing when you see a team that just come to destroy, to sit back, and they don't want to to open up the game. You know, as a fan, it's disappointing, but it makes a lot of sense sometimes, and. You know, Let's use the Cruz Azul-Monterey game as an example to analyse this way of playing. So Cruz Azul have a coach in Paco Jemez who likes possession. He's a, you know, a kind of typical Spanish coach in that sense. Loves playing out from the back. Loves to dominate the ball. And they dominated the ball on Saturday. They had 77% possession which is absolutely insane. I, mean, I don't think I've ever seen any team have that much possession in Liga MX before. 77% possession. And Monterey came to not have the ball. Even when they had the full 11 men before Walter Iovie sending off in the 58th minute, they didn't want the ball. They just sat back and said, you have it. We know how you want to play. You want to play this possession game. So you have the ball. We're going to sit back. We're not going to let you break us down. And we've got Dorlan Pabon who has got pace on the counter, and Rogelio Furnes-Mori, who will finish chances. So we're going to hit you on the counter. Come to us, open up. When we win the ball, you're all over the place. You've lost your shape because you've pushed all your players forward. You've taken risks to try and break us down. And we're going to hit you on the counter. And in the first half, they did that. And it worked incredibly well. They barely were in the game. You know, Cruz Azul had... 75% 75% possession in the first half. So even at 11v11, they had three quarters of the ball. But Monterey were 2-0 up. and They did this the exact plan. It worked an absolute treat. Whenever they got the ball, they were able to hit quickly on the counter, exploit Crucesville before they could get back into their shape, and they scored two goals. And the second one, I have to say, was a really nice goal. The Carlos Sanchez one, which actually ended up with him getting injured, which was a shame. It was a really um, well-worked goal. Now, some may say, well, yeah, it worked in the first half, but hey, what happened in the second half? They ended up drawing the game. Well, why did they draw the game? The penalty that they gave away, which made it 2-1, to, um, still to Monterey, but got Chris Assault back in the game, was a really stupid challenge from Ivan Pilis, and these individual errors, that's not really part of the tactic. It it wasn't really part of the strategy. You can't blame and Mohamed much for an individual error, like Piris making a challenge which was completely unnecessary and gave away a penalty, let Kruza back in the game. IOV getting sent off, you know, some may argue it wasn't a red card. Some saw that it definitely was. Um, But either way, it's an individual error. It's not anything to do with the whole strategy then finally they lose the game when Nicolas Sánchez scores an own goal so the three key moments that let Cruz Azul back in the game were all individual errors so it could be argued that as a whole the strategy worked and Cruz Azul ended the match despite 77% possession and having just two shots on target which is ridiculous isn't it I mean to have that much of a ball and only attempt two shots on target Unbelievable. But that shows you that on the day the strategy worked. Crusoul may have had all that possession, but Monterey, by sitting back, by keeping the game compact, by not allowing La Machina's attackers any time and space in the final third, they ensured that the didn't create good chances. Now Tijuana weren't quite as defensive you know, but they still only had 40% possession they only attempted one shot on target the whole game but Milton Caraglio scored and they won the game playing that that strategy Nakaxa did something similar 42% possession against Pachuca again, only one shot on target they scored it, they won the game to be fair, Pachuca only had three shots on target, so it's not like Pachuca were dominating and just didn't finish their chances, or Barravera had an insane game in goal. You know, if you look at shots on target, which is how you, you score goals at the end of the day, one to three. There's not that much in there, you know. Pachuca only had three shots on target. They're, they're not going to... They, they can't say, well, we really deserve to win this game, to be honest. So this defensive, pragmatic football isn't much fun to watch but it can be very effective and for managers that have to win games sometimes this is what they've got to do now my argument particularly when I was talking about the last season has always been that you can only do this for a certain amount of time statistically the team that has the most possession wins the game. Something between about sixty to seventy percent of games are won by the team that has more possession, and I think often when you play a certain way, if you're just playing that style, or you never mix it up. Teams may be able to work you out quite well, and so they may say, "Well, you're only threats on the counter." So actually, today we're not going to be so expansive. We know that your threats on the counter, so we're going to be a little bit more cautious. We're going to make sure that when we attack, we keep our shape. Or they might say, we know what you're going to do. We know you're going to get really defensive. So actually, we're just going to overload you. And we're going to send so many players forward that even with your compact defense, you're not going to be able to handle us because we're going to put so many players forward. There's nothing you can do. So I think it's a great way to win in the short term, potentially, if it's done well. It can also be a great way to, I mean, it's a fantastic way to win a one-off game. You know, Jose Mourinho's pretty much made his career off playing this way in big games and winning them, and that's taken him to you know, Champions League titles, league titles, etc. But to have long-term success, which of course Jose Mourinho has never had long-term success with a club, I'm not sure it's doable. And you know. For Tijuana, for Monterrey, I don't expect them to be playing this way every week. You know, when they go next week playing at home, I highly doubt they'll be playing this style of football. So it's it, it is sometimes disappointing as a fan when you see team a team play this way. But most of the time, it is a one-off, a short-term thing to try and get a result against normally against a team like you know Chivas or Crucesul, that they know want to dominate possession and maybe they feel like well actually there's no point trying to battle over dominance of possession cuz they they're a bit better than than us they're going to keep the ball better than we are so we'll just play to our strengths we'll we'll adapt our game to their system and count, and counter what they're doing you know if we're not as good as keeping the ball as them or quickly retaining possession getting the ball back Um, then we'll we'll just say right, we'll we'll sit back, you have the ball we'll counter Nicaxa are different obviously because they've been doing this for a long time after two defeats to start the season there was a suggestion that they'd been worked out a bit obviously they got the win over Pachuca but they had one shot on target the whole game so (laughs) you have to say there's an, there's an element of fortune about that victory I don't think they're going to make Legia as they did last season. And it'll be interesting to see if Alfonso Sosa continues to play this way going into next season, or whether they try, you know, maybe through adding some players in the window, try to change things up a little bit and try to get more of a dominance over possession. But what you have to say is that It can be interesting to have some different styles in the league. I think a lot of people quite liked Nakaxa last year, mainly because they were a bit of a surprise package, but I think some people liked that, hey, here's, here's this team that are playing a different way, and it's kind of a bit interesting to watch a team play in that different style and to see it actually work. All right, let's move on to the second part of the podcast, and that is the player of the week. And this week's Player of the Week is Lucas Chino Zelorayan. And this is an obvious pick this week, but it had to be Zelorayan because he put in one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in Liga Anikis, to be quite honest. He was absolutely incredible against América. First of all, you've got the two golasos. The first of which, the free kick, is just ridiculous. How he scored from that angle, I just don't understand. The way he you know bent it round and over Marchassin and into the far corner. It was an absolutely incredible free kick. And then the, the you know the half volley running into the box was a off the bar was a great strike as well. And it wasn't just the goals. Ninety-two per cent of the passes were accurate. He made four key passes. He completed all of his dribbles. He won 10 of his 13 duels. He was absolutely outstanding. Playing a kind of centre-mid, forward-thinking, central midfield position uh, in yeah. the Tigres' kind of 4-4-2 system, but a bit more fluid than just a flat 4-4-2 because obviously Pizarro was sitting deeper and you know am was pushing on. and He caused so many problems for America. They didn't pick him up all day. And um, he just had so much space and created so much for them. Tigres were fantastic in this game, by the way. They i mean—they scored four amazing goals. So both of Sosa's goals were fantastic as well. And you know, Sosa could have had a hat-trick. He was very unlucky, but he, he just hit the post. And that would have been an incredible goal in the first half. Xignac missed an absolute sitter in the first half. So it could have been a lot more comfortable for Tigres. A great performance by then, fantastic performance from zeller and it's really good to see him showing exact, exactly what he can do, because when he started off in Liga at first he found it tough to get in the team, then he got some chances, and he showed some glimpses, but he didn't look quite confident enough maybe, he wasn't getting on the ball as much as he could. Now we're really seeing his class, and... He's definitely one of the best attacking mids in Ligue 1 And if you can keep this up for the season, you know, Tigres, they're going to be very, very tough to beat. And who knows, they could become beat Campion. Now, um, we'll end with some of your questions. So again, thanks to everyone who sent in their questions for this week. If any of you have a question for next week's episode then just hit me up on Twitter at TomH underscore 36. If possible, then reply to me tweeting out uh, one of the episodes of the podcast, because then it'll be easier for me to keep track of all the questions. So first of all, we have one which was actually sent in last week, but it was a little bit late, uh, it was sent in just after I recorded it. So I'll answer it this week. It's from at Reid and... James asks, what's your favourite Netflix show? Now, I don't have Netflix. In fact, I don't really watch TV. Uh, I spend so much time watching football and sometimes other sports as well that when I'm not, I kind of... I don't like to sit in front of the TV and I kind of make sure that I don't just sit in front of the TV. Otherwise... I would never get out. I would never leave my chair at home, you know. <laughs> so I don't have Netflix. I don't really watch TV. All I can say is that I would love to watch um, Club de Cuevos at some point because I've heard some really good things about it. And I've heard it's very funny and kind um, sort of frighteningly accurate to what Liga MX is, is like. So at some point, I would love to watch Club de Cuevos. Okay, second question is from at Sean E. Doyle. And Sean asks, how does League Amiakis scale in terms of youth development? Does it have a good or poor setup? So the youth system has uh, quite a lot of leagues. The Liga league, league Amiakis has quite a lot of youth leagues. You know, like the Premier League has uh, the under-23 league. League Amiakis has got leagues all the way down to the like, U15 level. In terms of the quality of youth setups, it really depends what team you're talking about. We have, I guess, a a bit of a split in how teams run. So you have Pachuca, the most obvious candidate. They have a massive youth setup. They invest a lot of money into it. And they've been extremely successful in bringing through players like uh, Javier Lozano, Eric Gutierrez, Rodolfo Pizarro and many more to come now the interesting thing about pachuca is the reason why they did it they decided about 10 15 years ago that they wanted to compete with the top clubs in mexico and they hadn't for a while they hadn't been able to compete with the very biggest clubs and they looked at it and said well we can't compete for the best players we at the moment, we can't compete with the likes of Club America with to sign you know the best um, players at adult age. So they thought, can we sign the best 19-year-olds? Well, they found they couldn't. Can they sign the best 17-year-olds? But well, they found they couldn't. What they found was they could compete for the best 10- to 11-year-olds. So they increased their scouting. They went out. They found the best 10- 11-year-olds. They got them into a good youth system and they brought them up. And this has been their strategy to compete with the best teams in Mexico. And you have to say, both in terms of bringing through youth players and in terms of signing you know, established players from abroad, they've done extremely well and they're now, at the moment, one of the best teams in Mexico. Other teams like Santos are investing a lot in their youth. Uh, Pumas are historically fantastic for youth. They didn't do much for a few years but it looks like they're making a big comeback they there's they've got a lot of players that have come through their youth system that are in the squad this year and they're having some success at the youth level chivas um, historically great at bringing through young players and are investing more into their youth facilities to improve their whole setup so there's a group of clubs that have very good youth systems On the other side, there's the likes of Chiapas, Puebla, Veracruz, who just don't seem to care, to be honest. Their only focus is, can we stay up this season, pretty much? And, you know, every season they seem to bring in and let go about 10, 15 players. There's very little long-term planning at those clubs. So there's a complete spectrum, really. You've got some clubs that I think have pretty good youth setups and are investing in their long-term future and other clubs that, that don't. And I think that's quite interesting. You know, obviously, it would be great for Mexico if every club invested loads in their youth facilities and their setup. But I quite, for in terms of interest, in terms of the contrast, I quite like that there's some teams that go that way and some teams that just... Aren't bothered to be honest. It's quite, it's quite interesting. All right, the next question we have is from at the colourful kit himself, and Raúl asks, "What's your favourite Liga Américas venue?" So this is a really interesting question, something I've never really thought about before. And the first, there are two that come to mind instantly. One being the yes, Azteca because. The Azteca has so much history, a couple of World Cup finals, um, so many big Mexico games, America games, and it's a a venue that football fans across the world have heard of. Way before I was watching Liga MX, I knew about the Azteca. The other one that comes to mind instantly is El Volcan, but that's more of a... A result of the atmosphere and the fans that occupy the stadium rather than the stadium itself so if you're including i think if you're including the whole experience in terms of the atmosphere during a game then i'd say that el Volcan is my favorite and the one i want to go to the most but if you're just thinking about the stadium itself and you know which one would i like to visit when there isn't a game going on That's a much tougher question. The Aztec is maybe the one I'd like to go to most, but not my favourite. Perhaps I I quite like the um, Hidalgo Pachuca Stadium. It's really, it's kind of just really compact, tight stadium. Um, The other one is the Monterey Stadium. You know, in terms of a slick designs modern ground it, it is a beautiful stadium but yeah th- choosing a favorite is really tough um i'm i'm going to assume that you mean with the atmosphere as well and i'll say el volcán but tough question M- maybe i could i could say a historic one and say the uh the old monterey stadium estadio tech because that view of the mountain The volcano in the background when you were watching, you know, watching on TV, there was the stadium and just in the background, this imposing volcano. And I know you can slightly see it from uh, the Tigres ground, but it's nowhere near as good as you could from the old Monterey ground. So it's a shame that with the new stadium, you don't have that because that backdrop was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. The next one comes from at Alonso Guinett and the question is who has a better shot at a national team call-up? Leono Lopez or Choffees? And whoever you pick would you call them right now? I think that it's a really tough question. Um, I think Choffees. I've got to say Choffees and the reason is because right now Eric Gutierrez isn't making the squad and he only just made his debut very recently so if Gutierrez can't get in the squad then surely Leonardo Lopez who is a similar player you know plays a similar position similar role maybe a little bit more forward thinking but yeah he's a similar player Um, but he's less established not as good so I think if if Guti can't make the team, then Lopez doesn't got a chance. Chofis, you know, he's, he's so inconsistent that I'm not sure that he's a player that Asorio would like. But in terms of you know, potentially a situation where there's a few injuries in the attacking positions and Asorio thinks, you know, I'd like someone who can make a bit of an impact from the bench, in an attacking position, then I can see him getting a call up. I I wouldn't call up either of them right now, to be honest. I think that, you know, like I said, I'd I'd call up Gutierrez before I call up Leno Lopez, and I'd call up, you know, more established names like Vela, Corona, um, Dos Santos, Berthuela, um, Aquino. You know, all those wingers that are in the Mexico squads. I'd, I'd definitely call them up before I call trophies up right now. But I expect both of them to definitely make appearances in Mexico in the long term. Will either of them become established first-team players for L3? Who knows? Uh, both of them definitely have the potential. And we'll see we'll see how they develop over the years. A couple more questions to go. At Cycling and Soccer asks, Why is the Toluca pitch in such poor shape? The grass was mostly dead on the near side. Interesting thing to point out, this. My theory is that it's to do with, well, the renovation of the stadium. I mean, that's pretty obvious. But my theory is that it's it's to do with how the top structure of the stadium impacts how much light goes onto the grass. So you can see that when you're watching the games, you can see that due to this new structure, certain parts of the grass where the light's coming through are getting a lot of sunlight. And certain parts were in, in the shade, which made a really weird pattern on the grass when you were watching it on TV. And this isn't the first time that there's been issues with pitch quality as a result of stadium renovation or, or a new stadium. I remember when England first built the new Wembley, because it it's so big, the grass was getting such little sunlight that... It was dying <laughs> and the pitch quality was terrible. This was a big issue for a couple of years. All these people moaning, oh, we've got this state of the art 90,000 seat stadium, but the pitch is terrible. <laughs> but after a while, they, they worked out a, a way to, to do it, and I think they just relay it a lot now. I know of other clubs that use artificial light to help the grass to grow. So I think it's just an issue that they'll have to work out over time. You know, parts of the grass might need more water than others. Some might need some artificial sunlight. But yeah, I'm sure they'll work it out in time. Finally, Frankie FrankieGerno23 on Twitter asks, who is your relegation candidate at this stage of the season? Now, this is a topic that is starting to come to the forefront of people's minds as we head to you know, head into this clausura season. I was thinking about discussing it this week, actually, but decided to hold on for a few weeks until the, p- the picture becomes a little bit more clear. Right now, it looks like it's going to be contested between three teams, Chiapas, uh, Veracruz, and Morelia, with Puebla potentially being sucked into it if they go on a poor on a form. Now, at the end of the apertura, I... I think I was asked about this, and my prediction was that Chiapas would go down. Now, my reasoning for this is, out of the three teams, I saw that Verona Cruz brought in Reynoso back as manager. This wasn't an appointment I was excited about by any means. You know, I'm, I'm not a fan of Reynoso's direct style of play, and he's, he's not a manager that creates exciting football. But what he does do is get you tight results, and so far this season he's got Veracruz a couple of wins. So I I think, and so far you know he has been doing it. I think as as the season goes on, he will do enough to scrape points to keep Veracruz in the league. Then it comes down to Chiapas, Morelia. Chiapas have a bit of a lead in the relegation table. Morelia have. Perhaps a better team, um, definitely more strike force with you know, Rui Diaz and Valdez, plus some, some good wingers as well. The issue with both sides, the main issue, is their defence. You know, In the Apertura, both sides were terrible defensively. So I thought that it would come down to who would improve their defence most um, in, in the, the you know, winter break. And I thought Chiapas with their money problems wouldn't improve their defence and Morelia probably would. And that's why I thought Morelia would end up staying up at the end of the season. Actually what's happened is neither of them have improved their defence. They're still playing pretty much the same defence. Um, certainly the, the same centre-backs. Morelia have been playing um, Asuna, Mario Arsuña, as as right-back recently but it's still Erpen Loeschbohr as centre-back which is a pretty dodgy you know, sense of that combination. However, they've only conceded one goal this season. So what Mourinho's done over the winter looks like has, you know his work has definitely improved them defensively. Chiapas have played one less game because you know, the America game has been postponed till later. But same thing, they've only conceded one goal. So actually both sides look like you know, through training rather than through bringing in new players, have improved their defense. Of course, it's still pretty early days in the Clausura, but they look like they've improved their defense. So it's going to be a really interesting battle. I'm going to stick to my guns and say Chiapas will go down, and um, mainly because I, I'm not sure they've got goals in the team. They struggle for goals throughout the Apertura, and. Yeah, Escudo it looks like he's he's going to be a decent addition up front, but with Morelia having you know, Rui Diaz, I, I think they'll have um, yeah they've got more strike force there, and so I think they'll have the edge. But hopefully, this is going to be you know as a neutral a really exciting race. Last season was a very disappointing relegation battle because Dorados was so bad, but hopefully this season we're going to have a really exciting relegation battle that we can keep track of each week and yeah there's going to be a lot of good games so as a neutral it should be fun to watch and i'll definitely be talking about it more in future weeks all right guys well that is it for this week's edition of the colorful kit podcast extra if you enjoyed it then i'd really appreciate it if you help me to share it out whether it be a retweet or just telling your friends about it and um yeah, if you have a question, hit me up on Twitter at TomHageAndTheScore36 and I will see you all next week.